This is Richard Lanius, and you're listening to Rolling Dice Taking Names. Welcome back to Rolling Dice and Taking Names, episode 27, As God as My Witness, I Thought Turkeys Could Fly. I'm Tony. This is Marty. And Marty, that was from one of our favorite shows. When was WKRP? It started in the late 70s, finished up in the early 80s, one of the best comedies of all time, and that Thanksgiving episode ranks as one of the best episodes of comedy on TV ever. If if you have not ever watched the WKRP in Cincinnati, you you need to go find it. It's just go look for that segment. Type in as God as my witness, turkeys could fly. Type that in. Go watch the YouTube. Just to give you some idea. You have Les Nassman, Arthur Carlson, who's a station man. It's it's a defunct is well not a defunct, but it's a radio station that's just barely surviving. Anyway, it's <laughs> Oh man, I, that's that's a great show. Uh, what was I mean the softball episode? But anyway, well, we're here to talk about games on TV. Sorry about that. So anyway, Marty and I. This is the second time we're sitting face to face. We're at Mace and we are recording. Um, and I tell you what, Marty, I am worn out. Uh, yeah, we um, played. A game of Eldritch Horror. Last, well, I played a game of Eldritch Horror. Yeah, last. I guess what I got to play, Marty. Did I tell you what I got to play while you were playing Eldritch Horror? Go ahead. I got to play Robinson Crusoe. Really? Robinson Crusoe? You mean the game that I complained about an episode or two episodes ago where I didn't get to play? Yeah, and you know what? You should have gotten to play that game. I think you might play tonight. I don't know. You'll have to let me know after uh, later in another podcast. Yeah, so I'm like on my way here and to um, play Elder Char with a few people from the game club that signed up because we wanted to play it once before we had all the people come in um, this morning. This is Saturday afternoon. We're recording this uh, this morning to come in and play with us. So as I'm heading towards Mace, I get a text from Tony. Oh, by the way, uh, one of the guys that listens to our show is bringing uh, Robinson Crusoe. I- I'm going to play. It's like, what do you mean you're going to play? We're supposed to play Eldritch Hard. And it's like, yeah, I'm going to do this. So I get here, and there they all are, sitting, setting up, getting ready to play. And it's like, all right, well, y'all play. I guess I'll go run Eldritch Hard. So did you win? No, we um, froze to death. Uh-huh. 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 Did you win at Eldritch Hard? <laughs> yes, we did. So you got that. We so, did win Eldritch Hard. Uh, okay, well, we did. Fantasy Flight Games did get us a copy of Eldritch Hard. Thank you so much, Fantasy Flight Games for that and you played eight players we did play eight players and we played the um they recommend a starting ancient one to use and that's what we used okay and as and we we also then sponsored it on saturday and um, people gave to the extra life campaign that marty set up to sit down and play it and we had eight people show up there to play saturday morning and let me just say this eight seemed a little long I agree, and let's we'll just go ahead and transition this. We'll talk a little bit about um, Eldritch Horror. This is a, the we got a preview copy. This game has not been released yet. Fantasy Flight is advertising this as a preview weekend for all their Elder games for all their for the Eldritch Horror games. So a lot of the game stores around the country are featuring events where they're playing this game. So we got a copy of it. Now I'm a huge fan of Arkham Horror. It's probably one of my top co-op games, and I heard a lot of great things about Eldritch. So we got to play. So if if you don't know about Eldritch, it's uh, Arkham Horror takes place in the city of Arkham and on the streets of Arkham and in certain houses and stuff. Eldritch Horror takes place across a world map. 
And it's still sort of the same concept. Everybody's an investigator. You have special skills. You travel around the map. The goal here is you're trying to solve mysteries of an ancient one. Uh, There's three mysteries that you must solve per game, and they're somewhat random depending on the god or ancient one that you're playing. And it tells you exactly you need to go here, do this, turn in clue tokens, whatever, to solve these mysteries. So that's what you're trying to do. Again, there's a doom track that's counting down. If it gets to zero, the ancient one awakes. You have to deal with it. So in in that aspect, it's it's a lot of the same thing. Now, we played with eight players, and let's see, we started... Um, eight thirty, nine o'clock. I, I thought, yeah, you about were eight, eight, yeah. eight, and um, we finished about twelve thirty. So it was about four and a half hours long. Now we did win, and we had a good time playing. But eight players is just a tad too long, mm-hmm. and the beginner god was a tad too easy. Um, what I love about Arkham Horror is there's always this sense of tension. It's like we're gonna die anytime. The gate's gonna open up. The game is gonna end. We're gonna lose, and we just never sense that tension. And afterwards, I went around the table and asked the people, what did you think? Um, it was about half and half. A lot of them said they actually liked it better than Arkham. And I'll go into in a second why. But actually, um, my wife Vanessa and my son Adam did not. They actually like Arkham better because they said that we just didn't feel that tension. It wasn't as difficult as what it needs to be. Okay. And yet the group that played this morning when I was asking them, you know, they were feeling the tension but I think they were not concentrating like you you were on the mysteries. They were mm-hmm. busy just going around the world. They were battling the monsters and trying to pick up clues. And they never really concentrated on solving the mysteries. So they began to run out of the Mythos cards. And all of a sudden, they were stuck. They only had two mysteries, one mystery done, and they had six Mythos cards. Right. And all of a sudden, they're just like, uh-oh. And that's when they got the tension. Now, also talking to your wife, um, Vanessa was telling me that she just didn't feel like the lore was kicking in, that the lore was missing or that, you know, she wants to be part of the story. There was too much downtime. And watching it, you know, you and I were helping the guys this morning. It, it was. There was just there eight players. People were sitting around waiting. Right and waiting right and, and people tend to pull out their phones and start testing texting and there's there's side conversations that are going on between people Vanessa was like bothered a little bit by that too she was like it's too easy to break into side conversations where everybody's not involved in the game because once your turn is over you're right with eight people you're just kind of waiting around for your turn to come around again so i, I need to play it again but i think the sweet spot's going to be four five people and plus play a different god that's just a tad harder. Now, there were several aspects of this game that I liked more than Arkham, and a lot of people agreed. Some people compare this game, they say Arkham Horror is like Descent version 1, and um, Eldritch Horror is like Descent 2nd edition. They said they took the best parts of Descent, trimmed out the fat, and made a solid game. They took the best parts of Arkham, trimmed out some of the fat, and made what I think might be a little bit more solid game. So, you know, with Arkham Horror, one thing, you know how at the beginning of your turn, you maintain, you have your counters that you move Mm -hmm. on your abilities to change your stamina and speed. There's nothing like this in that game, right? You've got set skills. So that part is gone. Instead, what's cool is everybody has stats. You can improve those stats, which I thought was kind of neat. Uh, you can go in and do particular encounters, and these encounters can increase your stats by one or two. So you can, if you're weak in one, there are certain locations around the world where you can improve certain stats. Go there, do an encounter, and you might can improve it. So everybody really liked that aspect of it. 
Yeah, I would I would agree with you. That was the one thing when I played Arkham Horror at, at your house, and then Eldritch Horror watching it today, and also from Gen Con. I, I definitely like that idea of being able to improve the stats, know what your stats are. They're easy to find on the card versus bumping a slider that moves. Now, what was I at, or should I move up to speed? Or to, that's that's a little bit too much thinking. I think for this, this game definitely brings it back, makes it a little bit mm-hmm. easier from that standpoint. And also the other thing about Eldritch from, from my standpoint is that, you know, you, I guess the monsters didn't move. I like that about Arkham Horror. I like the monsters trying to chase you down and things like sure. that. That was one thing that Eldritch does not bring to it unless a monster has that ability mm-hmm. where he can chase you. But, uh, you know, all in all, Eldritch Horror for me, I think it is a, a game that would be... Um, a lot faster once you know what the cards do because one of the things i notice on all the games is that everybody's like you can have resources you can buy stuff okay right right you have the influence that you can buy and everybody's like well what does that influence do what does that influence do and they don't know so a lot of the holdup was okay i've got they, everybody was always constantly reading those cards and trying to figure out, you know, and being reminded of it. But once you can't, well, I know the dynamite does this. I know that this, the cure does this, or whatever the cards were. Well, and I think that's the same. You got the same thing in Arkham Heart, too. Um, yeah. You still got the assets and everything. You still have to kind of learn what they do. What's different is, is you just pull a random card off the top. Again, one thing I like about Eldritch is mm. you have this reserve. You have four that you can pick from, so you know exactly what you're going to be buying. Yeah, well, that's kind of slick as opposed to just a random draw off the top. So um, people did like that aspect of it. Yeah. Now, one thing you talk, talked about, the monster chasing you, I think that's supposed to be for thematic reasons. Think about it. You're moving into a city. So true. monsters aren't leaving the city as opposed to you're in Arkham and they come out of a building onto a street. That's true. That's, that's I think point. thematically, I think that's what they were trying to achieve um, mm-hmm. with that. But one thing I do like about the monsters is in Arkham, if you don't do enough damage to kill them, that damage does not carry over. And Eldritch, it does. So if if a guy has, if it takes three damage to kill a monster and you do two, it stays with that monster until somebody else deals with it. I really like that aspect because I always felt cheated in in Arkham. If you got so close to killing it and you didn't, well, you know, tough luck. He's he's at full health again once it's over. And I did like in the battling of the monsters, if you're doing that, then you're rolling the die. And you take hit damage based on the number of success, but you also do damage. You're not having to do too many rolls. You're all sitting there. You're doing that. Now, speaking of of rolling um, dice and taking names. um, Asloth. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, right. Well, no, the the combat and the checks are exactly the same. You're rolling D6s, five or six, sixes are successes, and you're trying to get a number of successes, usually at least one to pass a check. Uh, you can have conditions like blessed, which makes four, five, and sixes count. Cursed means only sixes count. But this is one thing I thought was really cool with conditions, mm-hmm. is that there's a flip side to the card. And uh, so there will be, and I just, a reckoning, Resolve reckoning mm-hmm. icons. Whenever at the end of there's three phases. There's an action phase, an encounter phase, and mythos. Mm-hmm. Mythos is when the bad stuff happens. You draw a mythos card. The ancient one does stuff. During that time, different things can happen. Um, there can be monster surges. Gates can small. And one of them is reckon, resolve, and your reckoning icons. Some of your conditions have icons that you have to resolve. And if you fail, you flip the card over, and typically something bad happens. Prime example is. I talked about that, um, the, the uh, assets that go out into the reserves and you can buy. There's a one always constant out there called a bank loan. You can take a debt condition and, and basically automatically get two successes to spend towards buying something, but you're in debt. 
Mm -hmm. If, but it has that reckoning icon on it. So if you have to resolve it and you fail, you flip it over, something bad may happen. Like, um, the, uh, somebody may come break your kneecaps, you know, or yeah. you, you know, you're going to, you all of a sudden lose all your items to pay off the debt. Some, and each, even though there's multiple debt cards, each one on the back has a different condition. So you never know which one you're going to get. And when you get it, you're not supposed to look. Right. Yeah. And that's the neat aspect of it. And then even if you get injured or you get like somebody constantly was battling with amnesia. Right. And having to deal with that. And of course, we've already talked about this. One of the neatest things about Arkham Horror, I mean, not Arkham, sorry, I'm already swapping, Eldritch is the fact that if you go insane or you die and don't get devoured, people can come loot your corpse. <laughs> that, to me, looting is number one. That's, that, that's pretty cool. And it's really neat how they do yeah. it. So if, um, if you're defeated, you're either defeated one of two ways. You lost all your sanity, you lost all your health. And you, you take your player icon and you turn it on its side and you put the icon, whether it be the, the heart or the brain, to indicate whether you went insane or lost your health. So you're just lying there. Somebody can come to your location and choose to encounter that mm-hmm. character. And on the back of the character card, they're in two encounters. One if you lost all the health, one if you go insane. So one of them last night was one guy thought, um, you know, the person that you, you were a demon or something and, and you had to pass a, a check. And if you failed, they were screaming your name, you murdered me or something like this. But if you passed, you won something. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of neat. So when you die, uh, you lose your possessions. You just pick a new character up and start from the beginning. The big drawback is obviously you have no possessions. You kind of got to start over. Right. And, and like you, like I told you on the Gen Con thing where I got to play with um, the Dice Tower crew and we challenged, you know, Cthulhu and lost terribly. Here we, um, you know, you're right. I think they ratcheted up pretty quick. Mm-hmm. So you definitely, we'll get it another try, um, especially now that, um, you know, you get to play it. I'm going to play it with my my family and just see what they think because mm-hmm. they've only ever played Elder Sign and, you know, that's just simple dice rolling. And that, to me, I, I think it, it's the sweet spot because Arkham or Mansion is going to be way too complicated on my side, okay, with the people I play with. Mansion's not too bad. I, it's it just is. Mansion's different is that there's a guy running the game. But that, to me, is when I go with the co-op. Mm-hmm. But, okay, but, I but, see. But still, but that's just the way it, yeah. it runs. I mean, I mean you got to give credit. The, the Eldritch Horror a rule book is only 12 pages. Yes. Um, it's really not that hard to pick up. And it's not that hard to teach. It really is. It's not. It, what's different is is you have all these different types of encounters. And the book, the rule of the book just tells you when you're here, you can choose a location encounter, a general encounter, a rules encounter. You just don't know what exactly those mean. So it really takes playing the game to resolve some of those to see how they benefit you in a certain way. Yeah. Um, any other thoughts on this um, as far as Eldritch Horror goes? I mean, we've got an interview with two people that played in the play group that gave us their opinion. It'll, uh, we're going to transition over to that. But do you have any final thoughts on Eldritch Horror? Final thoughts? I, I like it. I was disappointed to hear that Vanessa and Adam didn't care for it. But I think they're like, I just need to play the game with fewer players and make it a little bit more difficult. And in the back of the rule book, they actually explain the, um, the mythos deck that you put together at the beginning yeah. of the game. There's hard cards and easy cards. So you can mix in some of the harder cards to make it a little more difficult and a little more challenging. Okay. So I think we may be at the point that we need to try it. But um, I like the game. I just think I need to play it again with only four or five players, and I think it'll really hit our sweet spot. I think for me on the timing, because time is always a big thing for me. Any game that lasts over three hours, you're going to lose me. Um, My ADD kicks in or whatever it is that's wrong with me on that side. But I think for me, I, I... 
if I had to choose between elder sign, which can take as long, depending on how big the group is, or the Eldritch, I think I would pull out Eldritch to try to teach to somebody. I would too. I think the theme is much better in Eldritch. It, every, yeah. Everything has flavor text. And if you read the flavor text, you can appreciate a little bit more. I mean, at Elder Signs, once the game goes on for a little while, really you're just rolling dice and kind of playing Yahtzee. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. Yeah. And so, walking the dice and where's the strategy? You need to go to this room. Well, the same thing's here, but everybody's got their own strategy. Um, you know, instead of going to the room in the mansion, you're, you've got to figure out how to travel. The traveling, the train tickets, the boats. That, that's all neat stuff. That adds to it, and I really sure. enjoyed that. So, you know, it's coming out in a couple of weeks. Guys, I think for Marty and I, it's, it's a definite one if you enjoy the Arkham side of things. Yeah, yeah. the Lovecraftian lore. Well, yeah. Lovecraftian lore. Um, Corey at Fantasy Flight was the lead designer on this, if I remember correctly, because he kept stopping by and telling us how bad we were going to lose. <laughs> um, and, you know, you get, and don't be surprised about how small, when Marty showed me the box the other night, I was like, where's the big game board? I mean, you, but it's just like, like a big, what, life raft that you pull the thing on and it explodes <laughs> out. There's stuff in that box, guys. Don't, don't be disappointed in that. So all in all, I would definitely say go out and buy it if you like the Lovecrafting. Yeah, and um, it's pretty obvious some expansions are coming. There's a lot oh. of room left for expansions. Oh, so. you, know, you know FFG is going to give us expansions. So, well, if you would, so you heard our opinion. So here is Megan and David from Mace and their thoughts on... Eldritch Horror. So we just finished up Eldritch Horror here at Mace, and I'm sitting with Megan and David, and they were part of our play group or testers of the new program or new game that's coming out from Fantasy Flight Games, and wanted to get their perspective on the game and what they thought about it and how it compared to Arkham. So, Megan, David, if you would, just let's hear your thoughts. Uh, well, you know, I've played probably about 50 to 100 games of Arkham over the years, uh, so I think I have a pretty good grasp on it. This was re- uh, really refreshing. It seemed to streamline a lot of the rules that are finicky, especially for new players of Arkham. Um, a lot of stuff like the investigator uh, st- uh, stats you know, how it modifies based on the focus. Um, Eliminating that, I think, eliminates a lot of the challenge for new players. Um, One of the other changes I really like, I like how the uh, clue tokens, when you put them out, they have numbers on the back that that show you randomly where it goes on the board. That's kind of nice, other than clue tokens always going to the same spots where gates open on the board every single time. Uh, Honey, what did you think? I like how it simplified the rules a little bit more, so it's easier. It's almost like a... um an easier way for, to open people into the Arkham, the Miskatonic type games, rather than Arkham is very in depth. It's very, it's you can play Arkham for almost an eight nine hour run if you do any expansions on it, <laughs> and it's a lot easier that it'll it'll new players can be introduced into the world of Arkham without it having to be so overwhelming of a game. Um, and it's very easy to pick up. I thought it was quite fun. And one of the things about Arkham, it seems like no one gets all the rules right until about their fourth time playing the game. And with this, I could see maybe two times with this because there's, you know, it has it has several rules. It's not a short game. It's not, um, you know, it's not the dice game uh, variant that came out a little while ago. It, there is a lot to it, but it's uh, more streamlined. I think I heard someone earlier compare it to, you know, with Descent, the first edition and now the second edition. They're saying that Eldritch Horror is almost like the Descent second edition version of Arkham Horror, and I can see that based on a different scale. In Arkham, there's like three types of economies going on with each investigator. You've got not only money, but also gate trophies and monster trophies, all these different things you have to juggle. Whereas with this, it's all based off of your uh, the, the influence scale. 
it was very streamlined, which I preferred, versus having to switch over every single time that you had an action segment to switch what, you know, prefer you want that specific time. For other people, you know, so it was very nice to be like, oh, well, I have this, and that was the constant. So I liked that it was constant and it was streamlined and it went quicker, I think. And one of my another really great thing about it, and one of the expansions for Arkham, it, investiga- it introduced uh, investigator personal stories, which I thought was a great mechanic that probably should have been there from the beginning. But what this did that might be even better is when that investigator is succumbs to insanity or, you know, it, it loses all their health, you know, you there's an option for you to go and have an encounter with that defeated character and earn all of their items. And that's kind of a brilliant thing from a story point of view. Now, I know when we were playing the game, we had eight people, and that seemed a little long to me. What do y'all think would be your sweet spot with, with Eldritch Horror? I think, to tell you the truth, I think five, anywhere between four or five would probably be a sweet spot. It would go faster. Whenever you maximize a game, it's going to take a lot of It's going to take a lot of time. Um, but I think four to start or five, you know, just to throw in a loophole, I think that would be my would be yeah. four or five would probably be best. And with a lot of games um, that get thrown out, they say for every player in there past two, you add about a half hour per player sometimes. And so if this started out as like, you know, a two hour game with eight players, you know, we're adding in a lot of hours there. So I would say, yeah, probably around four, probably five is the sweet spot about. Well, guys, we appreciate you playing with us today and trying it out. And I hope you enjoy Mace and you have a good rest of the day. So as we teased on episode 26, our strategy episode, that's where Tony, myself, Todd, and Alex talked about a um, strategy session we did with Lords of Waterdeep. What those guys have done is they've approached us and said, hey, we would like to do a regular segment concerning strategy uh, on your show. And we said, sure, let's, let's, let's check it out and see what it, how it sounds. So they've given us their first segment. Um, this is kind of an overview, an introduction to what they're going to be talking about. And the, they've named their se- segment War College. <laughs> what is it good for? Anyway. Well, hopefully something. Oh, oh, see what he did there. Um, so let's, let's go over to those guys. Let's hear the introduction to their segment. And uh, please let us know what you think. A- after the segment, this, it's kind of an, almost an, an interview type thing with um, Todd interviewing Alex. Kind of explain what goes into strategy and then they have these different phases they're going to go through over their different segments so please go out to our uh, our forums on the uh, board game geek and let us know what you think or email us and, and just give us a shout on how you think these guys did so here's alex and todd with war college hey there this is um alex and todd uh we are trying a Hello. experimental uh new segment on the Rolling Dice and Taking Names uh, podcast. Uh, our segment, we're, we're calling it the War College currently, uh, and we're going to do an a, a investigation of different types of game strategy uh, and, and a potential framework to look at for evaluating strategy in, in various Euro games and uh, gaming in general. Yeah, and we had such a good time playing Lords of Waterdeep. Uh, you know, and Alex, the framework you brought to analyze that game I think was really the inspiration for this. Yeah, um, I definitely, I definitely approached my my strategy for that game a little differently than I do normally when I come to the table for a game, um, and so yeah, I thought there would be, I thought there was maybe something more to discuss there. Um, I know I'm I'm always looking for, I guess, better strategy tips or better, you know, how it can be more effective at the table, and uh, and so I thought maybe there was some more, uh, some more analysis to be done. 
Yeah. Well, so when you sat down and you started to think about it, you know, because I think we all come to a game, you know, with our own process that we've kind of developed over time, you know, and, and I, I doubt many people have ever taken the time to write down like how they approach these games. This time we just kind of, I think a lot of people are kind of intuitive or instinctive about it, or maybe they've studied specific moves, but they never thought about how they prepare. So when you sat down and did that, like, what did you come up with? Yeah, that's, that's a great point. I, I can promise you prior to that, I have never sat down <laughs> and, and, and analyzed a game in depth like that um, and, and taking notes and that kind of thing. Um, you know, I, I, from my professional background, I do know that things like uh, having a process, a systematic approach makes, um, you know, makes a huge difference in whether or not you can succeed. And so I felt like if I could develop something similar for approaching um, strategy games that, that maybe I have a better result at the table. I, I like to think I'm pretty strategic minded in general, but uh, you know, I wanted to figure out, is there a way to get to uh, be more systematic about how I approach my games? You know, I usually use a very, um, un, I'm, I'm going to call it unsystematic, uh, soft approach. I'm, you know, it's kind of like I sit down at the table and I'm going to, uh, you know, learn the game as I go, that kind of thing. And so, I wanted to have a better approach to it. And what I've come up with is, is more of borrowing from both, um, you know, one from like military science. I actually looked it up on Wikipedia, some, how, you know, how they break down, um, strategy for military exercises. And then also a lot of this is, I think, common in the business world too, where you have a set framework or approach to achieving goals and objectives. Um, computer, computer science has very, has a lot, probably draws a lot from this from different, um, development um, uh, processes that they use um, for tracking uh, you know, how they actually develop and roll out software. So I was trying to find parallels um, that I could draw into, into the gaming side as well. And like I said, the, the, probably the, the closest I came to, I think, is with the – when I started looking at the military science, that's where it seems like the same types of strategies they look at in, in warfare seem team to have the same ones or parallels in, in strategy without, gaming. Without the actual – you know, killing yes. of the, your opponent. Yeah. Yes, right. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Well, so, I mean, it seems like you, you, how, if you were to break that down into like major concepts, like what, what was your biggest takeaway from looking at that? And, you know, I, I think people are surprised a lot of times when you take a strategy from one area and move, or not a strategy, but, mm. you know, a plan from one area and move it to another, like military to business or business to games. Yes. You know, surprised by how much that actually works. But, you know, I think. Or, 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 may, or, or alternatively, maybe skeptical of whether it will work. And, and right. that's one thing yeah, for right. sure is, you know, if it's a good, so like, what I'm trying to look for is a systematic approach or framework in which to evaluate, um, you know, after I sit down and read the rules to a game, you know, what, where are some steps I can take to become better at, right. at playing the game? Um, and it's no good to have a, a, a framework that only applies in to one specific game. I mean, we, I think we, we talked about this a little bit when we were playing for Waterdeep. You know, it's, um, it's nice and all to have a, a strategy guide, for instance, for a specific game. Um, we'll, we can talk later on, I guess, about, about how we, 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 we read those to, as part of what we do for preparing for games. But, um, that's there's no um, there's no way to leverage that into the next game you play usually um, because right, it's so yeah. focused or so specific to the mechanics of the game that you're looking at. Um, so I wanted a much more general or broad framework where you know it doesn't matter whether you're sitting down to play uh, an abstract like chess or um, Todd and I've been playing a lot of Tigris and Euphrates lately. You know I want something you know, something an abstract versus I've sitting down to play a standard Euro. 
Um, or I do a lot of you know just traditional war games too. And I want something I could sit down with and we have uh, we carry across all those. Yeah, and you mentioned something just there that I think you know you mentioned mechanics and you know talk to me a little bit about the difference between like mechanics and tactics and strategy. Yeah. I mean, I think that's something we'll maybe get into in the future. But you know, can you give me the thirty thousand foot yeah. view? Yeah. So the, the framework that I'm looking at is focused on strategy, which is your high level. Um, mm-hmm. you know, how do I approach the game? Set goals and objectives. You know, to win the game, <laughs> right? It is the overall process. Um, whereas tactics is you know, generally refers to the the um, specific moves that you might make in the game. I'm going to use chess as an example. You know, forking in chess is a tactic, um, you know, or um, doubling up your rooks on a, a particular rank or file is a tactic. Okay, let's take it take it down a notch for people who only played chess casually. Like, give me an example of, like, a something you might do with a pawn or a knight or something. <laughs> well, uh yeah, if you, uh, like, uh, chess is actually probably a bad one because if you're not real, if you, you know, what they call discovered check, if you move, if you move your pawn forward and in doing so you open, you determine that now another one of your pieces is a, is putting the opponent's king in check. That would be a tactic, um, because okay. it forces them now to make a different move. So as opposed to strategy in chess, which is what's my pawn positioning? What is, right. okay. um, how have I developed my pieces on the table? Those are the the over the you know the the, the big picture things, and then there are the specific moves um, you know that you use to actually execute that strategy. Um, right. I'm trying to think in a, in a Euro game. Let's pick Agricola. Yeah, uh, your strategy is: am I going? Am, am I going to be a baker or um, you know uh, we call it a rancher? You know, it's it's right, those type right. of What what over overall? method am I going to pursue the, the winning the game? The tactic is when do I take first player? When do right. I, um, you know, do I, how long do I let a particular um, resource build up before I try to grab it? You know, it's that, those more in the specific moves. Right. And then mechanics of course um, are, are the, you know, the actual rules of the game and, and that, right. you know, that's what the Drives, of course, the strategy and tactics of all games is, is understanding the key mechanics to them. Um, but they have obviously right. the biggest impact on what your strategy or tactics are going to be. But again, my, my goal with the framework is that regardless of what sub mechanics you, you're looking at, you've got a common framework to, to develop your strategy from. No, that makes sense. So it, you know, hopefully the goal of this is to help us all become better at, you know, no matter, like, I guess just what you just said, so I'm kind of repeating you, but, uh, you know, that no matter, you can look at a set of mechanics and say, aha, okay, you know, I understand that, you know, in order to manipulate this mechanic successfully, this has to be my overall strategy. Yeah. And, or that this strategy is going to be more successful because these mechanics yeah. facilitate Well, and that. I think also you find that there are certain strategic themes that develop, are, are if it, particular mechanics across all games have certain strategic um, themes that, right. that that you find popping up over and over again, um, you know, worker placements, you know, that almost all of them have a, a first player mechanic and that without getting again too into the, into the, um, weeds on this, but you know, that's why I kind of throw into the, you know, initiative or, um, I sometimes I call that the offensive in military right. terms, uh, category of, you know, when do I take that, that, that first player spot, so I, I can plan around, you know, what the other players are doing. Or like in a 4X game, almost every 4X, you know, uh, developing your resource base immediately is, you know, a, you know, a key part of being able to, to win that yep. game. Yep. 
Right. Now, of course, now would that be more of a tactic or would that be a strategy? I guess is kind of um, to your point. Like a strategy might be: Are you going to go military? Are you going to go um, economic victory? Are you going to go cultural victory? Depending on the forex yeah. game, of course. Well, and and, and that, that's well, there's a there's kind of a distinction there in that the strategy might be more related to recognizing which of those paths is the right. correct one to, to pursue. You know, um, you know, we, we play civilization quite a bit and, um, you know, there's sort of four, four ways to achieve your, to, to win. And it partly depends on, you know, properly recognizing the layout of the table, what resources are available, who your opponents are. So the strategy is more about that, that level of analysis, and then selecting the, the 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 prior the best win condition, and of course that that can change throughout the game. You know, you might think initially that you're going to go for the you know the tech victory, but it turns out that you know gold you know the gold the, the economic victory is the better path. Yeah, or something with something like Eclipse, where you know you're going to look at your race and you're going to see what its strengths are, and you're going to see what other people are playing, and you're going to make some determinations about you know which victory conditions are going to be the ones you're going to pursue. As far as will you go strong military, or you try to turtle mm. and explore, uh, and gain victory points through economic or cultural victory. Yep. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. All right. So in looking at this framework, we're going to try to develop and looking at these broader strategy goals. Um, Maybe I can go through. Um, yeah, I, you know, we've talked about developing the, like, some sort of framework. Let me, I'll share with at least what I came up with, and uh, okay. maybe just give some examples and and get yeah. your get your feedback on them. Uh, and again, this is this is one I like. I, said, I borrowed this completely from the sort of the principles of military science. Um, and, and but like I said, once I apply, and I applied these to Lords of Waterdeep when we did that that uh, that one uh, episode and. Uh, like I said, I, to me, it, it clicked. Like I said, I felt like every time I looked at one of these principles, uh, there was a, a corollary in in the game strategy. So what I came up with, right. the ones that, that I was looking at was what we first called the objective, um, which, you know, in other words, what's the goal? And, you know, yeah, right. and, and I don't, I mean, most people say, well, goal is to win, but this is getting much more into the, the details of, like I, like, I looked at for Lords of Waterdeep, like, how many victory points did I feel like I needed to have accumulated by the end of the game? Right. And then that way you, you could back into, well, I need to be scoring X number of points. You know, it's that, when we say objective, we're like, how, coming up with a very concrete end goal for the game. You know, you should know right. not, not only how you're going to win, but, you know, what's the, the actual metrics you need to hit to get there. Um, yeah. So, and sometimes, sometimes that might be very obvious. Uh, you know, again, chess, Putting another right. guy in checkmate, right? Or it may be very, yeah. very specific. Where I said, it's, you know, it's how many points do I need to to get to right? Pull? And in how many turns do you need to get them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Uh, the next thing, uh, our next principle I looked at was reconnaissance, uh, which is, yeah, you know, what can I? And I, I think we talked about this in that the uh, the Lords of Wiredeep episode too, and that that's where actually I right. think I spend probably better than half my time when I'm actually what I call my, my hobby time is probably in in the what I call the right. reconnaissance phase because it's it's studying the rules, studying the existing strategy for the game, um, f- studying the other players. Like I try to figure out, you know, who am I playing against? How do they play? What's their play style? The, the meta game, you know, it's all those types of things. And then in game, there is quite a bit too, um, in, in terms of wanting to know, you know, or trying to know what the other guy is going to be doing or what does the lay of the land for that game, what's it going to look like? Especially in games where there's, right. you know, um, randomizers that you have to, to account for, um, you know, yeah. knowing that, up, you know, as much as possible up front. Uh, right. Then you have, um, what I call the offensive, offensive, which is, you know, which battles do you fight? 
when do you go for the initiative? Um, yeah, so it's it's those types of things. I prior, I guess I call it, Cho- choosing your yes, battles pro- or, or, or yeah. uh, from business prioritizing. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. Prioritizing, yeah, right. Okay. Uh, fair on enough. the yeah, on yeah, table. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, mass and what that refers to in in military terms, I'm talking about you know throwing a bunch of guys and you know when you when you when you, you know generally <laughs> yeah. the larger force wins. That's normally the rule right. of thumb in in the wars. You know you want to have as much the larger force uh, as the clear has the clear advantage on the battlefield. Um, in game terms, that, that, which so for a war game, that's got a pretty clear correlator. But you might sometimes have a hard time. What does that mean? What does mass mean in terms of like a Euro game? Uh, but I, I think of it as barring from video games, focus firing. If you, I was a big Red Alert player back in college, and yeah. um, you know, it's the idea of you know you want to group or target. You know, if, if you're going to go, for instance, uh, uh, for one particular resource, you want to concentrate on that and shut everybody else out. Right. right? It's that kind of thing. Or yeah, right. monopolize a specific space on the table or bring, bring as many resources to bear yes. as you can to achieve your yeah. objective. So yeah. if, like you said earlier, if you're in Agricola and you're going to become the baker, you know, you don't want to be fooling around with a lot of sheep and boar and everything yep. else. Um, which, and there's a second, there's a, the next uh, principle is what they call economy of force, which is sort of a, um, a, mm. a check against mass, which is you know right. also doing it in the most efficient way possible to achieve the objective. Don't right. don't overcommit to something. You know, find the exactly what you need to to win, and don't go overboard. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really about resource allocation, um, economy of actions, and the worker placement. So I mean, your games have lots of that type of, um, of you know efficiency type mechanism that you've got to figure out if you want to be successful. Uh, then you've got maneuvers. So there um, that. That probably most closely ties what you think about as tactics. You know, it's where and when should I, should you know, in military terms, where and when should a battle be fought? You know, picking right. the location for your battle, for instance. Um, so on the table, you know, it's, you know, which spaces do I want to be on? When do I want to go right. for those? That that type of thing. Uh, then you have unity of command. So again, in military terms, you're talking about you don't want to you don't want a two headed giant in in, right, in right. the army, right? Um, yeah. Same thing at the table. You need to, you know, do you have a cohesive strategy? Are, are you going in <laughs> yeah. five different directions or do you have one central cohesive, uh, cohesive strategy? Do your actions synergize right. with each other? Are you, t- you know, Lords of Wardy, perfect example. Have you changed your, chained your quest so that there's a synergy um, between them or are you, like I said, are you all over the board and, and you know, yeah, are you like, oh, I just want the neat buildings yeah. even though they don't help yeah, me any. Exactly. Yeah, right. Uh, Security, which again, you know, if you think about any good military um, uh, setup, they have, you know, what's the first, thing, you know, whenever uh, uh, the military sets up a camp, what's the first thing they do? Yeah, they build establish a, a yeah. perimeter, right? You got, right. you know, yeah, you, exactly. you set up your borders, you defend, you set up your defenses, um, and it's right. no different in the game terms. You know, uh, we all, we've all been the the person at the table who's currently in the lead in the game and therefore has a bullseye <laughs> yeah. painted on our head. Security is about right. how do you, you know, what have you done to protect or defend your position? Um, you know, prevent that, that late game, um, um, onslaught from the other, uh, or, or team yeah. up from the other players. Once you're the, you know, in the clear lead, uh, then you've got surprise, which, you know, again, historically in, in, uh, warfare has always been about, you know, being able to establish an ambush is, you know, key, right. way, key way to, to uh, to win an engagement, and same thing in a uh, in in the strategy games. You know how can you how can you either deceive your opponent so they don't know where you're right. going, 
or um, or you know, like I said, surprise them at the when it's it's there. You know, take a resource from them when they you know, at the right. worst possible time for them. That kind of thing. Yeah, right. Yeah. How do you seize the longest road at just the appropriate time to cost them the game? And yeah. Yep. Uh, and then uh, simplicity, which is you know. <laughs> Keep it simple, right? Don't go right. for it, it, simply. Don't go for the most elaborate plan. Find the simplest plan that take that helps you achieve victory. Because the fact is, complex plans always fall apart. <laughs> right, right, right. You want to, unless you're just really unless you played a game like a hundred times and you're just really really bored and want to try something yeah, new. Yeah. If, 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 <laughs> yeah, this is this is about if you want yeah. to win, not so much as if you want to experiment yeah, right, or right. stuff. Yeah, now, yeah if you want to exactly win, you right. go for the the, the simplest. Uh, you know. Simplest plan that right. will achieve your objective. Because if, as soon as you start right. adding in too many other elements, too many other unknowns, too many other random things, it's you can't. You're, 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 There's too many opportunities for your opponents to interfere with yep. you. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, a, a last one, which uh, has also always played into uh, uh, military uh, conflicts, is the terrain or environment. Uh, and so again, that. And largely for a game, this is this is the board layout. You know, it's what what is on the table that has to be considered, and, and make sure that you're getting the the best of it. <laughs> yeah, and this is one where would you also consider this the environment in which you're playing, like with the people, the people that are. I mean, I know, I see, I can see how it could just be the board and like the the context in which you're actually playing the game. But I could also see it be, you know, it's one thing to play chess with a friend at the beach. It's another to go to a tournament and play against, you know, people trying to become grandmasters. And that would seem like a very different environment and context, uh, then, but I'm not sure if that's exactly what, you know, that may have more to do with identifying your opponents, but. Yeah, no, actually, I hadn't, I hadn't considered that, but no, I think that's a very, I think that's a very good comparison. Hmm. Um, and it's, you, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, yeah, it's definitely, uh, the, again, the, the metagame, I mentioned it in terms of the you know reconnaissance side right. and knowing the play who I'm playing against, but no, that's true. It's just as true in the you know there's meta game probably plays into many of these right. these elements, and certainly that's a good example of one. Yeah. And when you say meta game, can you elaborate on that a little bit, just for our audience who may not know the exactly things what that, you mean? Yeah, the, that that is the <laughs> the stuff that goes on around the table that that's not from not at the table. That is, um, I know, for instance, that. Uh, Todd is a very aggressive player, and so I've got you know. <laughs> um, whereas I know, know I know Marty is not so much of an aggressive player, so I I, I bring that knowledge to the table, and it affects right. how the game is played at the table. No, true. Like I and you know you see that a lot in um, people who play games a lot together know a lot about you know I think. That you know, for people who play poker, you know, you get to know the, the people you play with and their tells and how they bet, you know, the same thing with, you know, board games, you kind of have a feel for how people are going to play those, how much prep they're going to put into and who the biggest threats are at the table. And yep. that can be a big challenge trying to overcome that. So yeah, and that makes sense. Um, cause I, the only reason I ask, cause I know sometimes in like, um, you know, I used to play a lot of magic, still enjoy it, but you know, used to play a lot and, uh, in that context, they talked about the metagame often being, you know, the hot deck or what the new cards yeah. are, you know, and so, the, and the debate that was going on about which cards, you know, were good. So there was a metagame of the game itself, not just the people you were playing with directly. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. And the same thing in, in the, uh, in like miniature war gaming, you have the same concept, you know, which not only, you know, which factions are, are people playing in the community and which specific list do they bring for those factions and that, 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 yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
Well, no, this sounds great. I'm excited that we're going to spend some time on it. Um, you know, I think there's a, you know, it always helps me to help to put this stuff down on paper. And I think, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, well, that's obvious. But, you know, so many things that seem obvious, you know, until you've actually spent time trying to articulate it and put it in words, you don't realize maybe the things that you're not doing well that you can improve upon. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, when I, so when I started writing this stuff down for Lords of Waterdeep, I was, I was amazed. At, I was like, okay, wait a second. I never really thought about, you know, that I need to, I need to look at this particular element of the game or, you know, uh, should I be deferring, you know, looking at certain cards or, or, or acquiring certain cards or resources um, to achieve my objectives? You know, I, I normally would have just gone to him and said, all right, well, try to take whatever I can get right now. But there were actually reasons, strategic reasons for deferring um, certain actions until later if it was either to trick an opponent. I shouldn't say trick. To to not let on to what my strategy was or... Um, I think trick's okay. <laughs> yeah, tr- yeah, it was it was a trick, my opponent. Yeah, yes. right, right. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, no, there's all kinds of things you, you just don't consider, um, you know, until, like I said, until you sit down and you start taking a much more systematic approach to, to analyzing it. So, uh, I don't know that necessarily I'm going to suggest that having a framework, framework, this framework like this means that you sit down and write out your strategy every game. But now that I have it, when I think about a game, I reference this and I'm like, okay, well, have I, have I considered these different factors, these different principles? And then that leads to me, I think, having a slightly better strategy at the table. If I can win more, I'll, I'll know it's actually working. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Well, maybe we can go out and um, team up on Marty and Tony some. and uh, Yeah. Yeah. We'll test it against them. They cannot use the system, and we'll use it, and we'll see what happens. Well, um, I think – so going forward, I think the, the idea here is that we would maybe start um, – take each one of these principles one by one over the next couple segments yeah. and just discuss them, talk about give, – give, try to give some concrete examples around, you know, here's how – uh, you might use um, the the reconnaissance principle in an abstract game, in a Euro game, in a Forex, um, and so on, and just kind of break down how we apply them. So that ideally, there is the um, principle, and then there's the practical application of it. Right. And yeah. try to approach it from that way. So um, for our next segment, I think we would jump into to the first principle and uh, pro- try to provide some of those examples. That would be great. And I would say to, you know, those of you listening out there, you know, if you have any specific ideas or um, suggestions or questions you'd like us to address in this segment, you know, going through all those different elements, um, you know, please feel free to jump in on the, the guild forum on BGG or, or yeah, BGG or on the Rolling Dice and Taking Names uh, website or, you know, shoot them a note on Twitter uh, on their Facebook page, and we'd be happy to try to work that in, you know, especially, or, you know, feel free to disagree with us. You know, this is not a, uh, this is not a perfect, I don't think we claim, we're claiming that we have the perfect vision on this. this. is kind of a new thing we're trying to do is lay out these elements and figure out how to incorporate it into our game playing. So it's definitely a dialogue. Yeah. All right. Well, terrific. Um, I guess until, uh, until next time, uh, good gaming to everybody out there. Yeah. And keep rolling dice and taking names. Well, now it's time for At the Table. And for November, if you remember, we um, asked everybody to send in what you thought your biggest turkey game was. The game that just didn't live up or it was the biggest waste. It was it was a bomb, more or less. And Marty, I know that uh, you got some recordings at the Queen City Game Club and got their responses. So are you ready to listen to those? Yep, it's our typical part of the this segment where I go to one of the gaming nights and just kind of go around with a, a, 
uh, my phone with the mic on it and and ask away and get the responses. So I'm ready to go to it if you're ready. Uh, let's do it. Yeah, so about that. Um, <laughs> I can't believe you, man. <laughs> okay, we tell people to send us stuff, and we have a backup of At The Table. <laughs> so I walked around to about six to eight people that night asking this question, and I two days ago I pulled the audio file off the phone, and lo and behold, there's nothing there. Um... I don't know what happened. I assume that I must have accidentally hit the pause button on the recording as I was walking around because the recording file was zero seconds long. Okay, you do know our year anniversary is coming up. You would think we would master the technical difficulties or technical challenges that we seem to have on every show. Oh my gosh. Hey, I've never had this problem before. It's it's pretty simple. It's a it's a recording app on the phone. I hit record and and people say stuff and yeah. I can hear the cardboard jungle right now. Bunch of amateurs. I can just hear them. <laughs> so, all right. So, anyway. Okay. All right. So, so yeah, we we don't have anything from the game club and I apologize for those people at the game club who gave me their turkey games and Unfortunately, I can't remember one of them or I would say what they were because I didn't think I would have to remember it because it's recorded on my phone. Well, that's all right. Not a big deal. So anyway, we did have um, Brian send in a um, segment for us, a short little segment. So Marty, let's go to someone who knows how to operate a recorder (laughs) and And let's hear what Brian has to say. And then we also have got some ones that um, people send in some typed messages and you and I will hopefully get those recorded appropriately. All right. So here's Brian. This is Brian from Board Game Geek. And I just wanted to say that my turkey game this year is Galaxy Trucker. This game sounds really exciting. Uh, You get to be a trucker where you build a ship, you fight pirates, you fight each other, you uh, pick up and delivery but then you actually play the game and realize it just pretty much sucks. Uh, After building the ship, which might be fun, you basically just sit there and watch the rest of the game take place. You have a board that you don't just go around or move around. No, you just go forward and back. Yeah, that makes no sense. And, oh, what about those exciting battles we were talking about? How about you just add up your number of cannons and then compare them to everybody else? Wow, that's exciting. And then, oh, look an asteroid field. Uh, let's just roll some dice. Yeah, this is not a very exciting game. Fun idea. Definitely my turkey game. Now, before we continue, I would like to say something. We probably sound different right now than we did in our first segment because we're actually recording this, not at Mace, but at home. So, this is like our future selves from our previous selves in the earlier segment, but it's once you hear this, it'll be our past selves, but not as past as the previous segment that we just did. And with that, you know, it's kind of like we've warped around the sun and we're back. So, okay, I got you, Marty. We're doing that future stuff. I like that Star Trek stuff. Okay, I'm good. But what's weird is, is the next segment, our outro, we go back to our previous selves 
at Mace and not our current selves, which is if you're listening, it's like two previouses ago. Okay, let's get back to at the table. All right, so <laughs> I'm getting myself so anyway. I'm getting myself confused, man. Hey, t- time travel is always very confusing. So you know, it's it's never very well explained. Uh, you got that Ex- right, except in Back to the Future. Yes, flux capacitors. I, I'm there. All right. So okay. So yeah, anyway, go ahead. we had some, we also had some entries um, at our uh, board game geek guild page. We had some people send in a couple, and here we have one from John Stone, and he says Rialto, much more of a memory element than I thought there might be. Even worse, unless one invests heavily in the green buildings, there's no real carryover from round to round, and you're left trying to remember how many gondolas that guy picked up this round, but you'll likely need to play all your cards since you can't really keep them unless you want to take a bite out of your next hand. The more I think about it, the more frustrated I get since I'm such a failed fan otherwise. Maybe I just wanted to be this to be Brugus. Brugus? I thought it would be Burgess, but Brugus. B R U G E S. Okay. So that was John's entry. All right. Then we had a very uh, good entry from a, a Michael, and it's fairly long. And so here I go. Let me, let me see if I can get this out, Marty. Oh, I have a turkey for you. Just look at the length of this rant, and I can tell you how betrayed I felt about the game. The game is Castaways. Now, I played Robinson Crusoe one last time last year and i found it to be too big and fiddly a game hey marty did you get to play robinson Crusoe? finally did okay very good moving on sorry back to michael um and it's hard in my previous in my previous self in the previous segment where i said i hope i get to play it tonight my current self actually did get to play it that time after i recorded it okay i'm with you so yes, you got to play it. And so we both got to play it. So anyway, back, oh, sorry, back to Michael. Sorry, guys. I played Robinson Caruso one time last year and I found it to be too big and fiddly a game. And it's hard to see what's happening as well, but maybe more experience with the game can smooth out the rough edges. I doubt I'll ever know unless someone else in my group picks it up though. So here I am loving the deserted island theme and Castaways comes along. Whoa. A simpler, smoother game than Robinson Crusoe, not to mention far less expensive. It's really less expensive. Oh, this is an edit for me. Real less expensive because nobody can buy it right now. But anyway, who makes that game? I think it's Z-Man. Yeah. Okay. okay. I'm sorry. Anyway, go ahead. Back to that. Uh, that sounds great. So I bought the game, even though it said it was a semi-co-op game, and I should have known better right then. There are two things with this game that are horribly, horribly wrong. One is that it is a semi-co-op, and the other is it's a whole exploration business. Semi-co-ops do not work. That said, I am sure somebody out there can come up with an exception. I can't think of one, but even if someone else can, working semi-co-ops are very rare breed. I've ranted before about why this game type doesn't work, but I'll spare you that for now. I'll just give you an example from one of my plays of Castaways. We've done everything we can do, and the rescue ship is coming by. At this point, we have to show that we have certain items and the game will end. Things like a big bong, bong, sorry, big bonfire and a mirror to reflect the sun, etc., etc. One of the players has the last item we need to qualify for a rescue, but guess what he just keeps it to himself the rescue ship continues on and we all lose why did he do this another player clearly had more points than everyone else in the game combined he was crushing us so the player with the last item could decide to have that player win or we all lose i think his choice was clear and everyone else playing agreed with him we tried the game again and just played it fully co-op that doesn't work either too many parts are way too easy when everyone is just happily getting along surely we got rescued but it was a cakewalk 
He then goes on. Yes, he continues, which is very good. And now we get to the other problem that tanks this game. The exploration is ill-conceived. You can do all sorts of actions on your turn. Many things involved you simply moving around, I'm sorry, moving some cubes or maybe rolling some dice. Typically game actions. However, exploration involves flipping cards, reading them, reacting to them, and continuing on. It takes far too long than anything else you might choose as an action, and it's far more interesting too since all of the story is there. If you're not part of the exploration on a given term, you're going to be inactive for a while and probably not very interested, but that's not all. When you explore the island, there are three zones you progress through. When you read the rules, this sounds workable. A zone is essentially finished when you've gone through every card in the zone deck, or you acquire enough feet on cards to sort of skip ahead. Well, from what I've pieced together in the message there, the designer decided that he really wanted people to go through all of the cards that's okay but then he didn't go back through all the cards rules and set and just them accordingly so for example maybe i flip a card that tells me there's something dangerously ahead i can roll a die and take a risk or perhaps even earn a foot so it progress faster but the feet have been mostly eliminated from the cards so that is nearly impossible to ever complete a zone with feet you can easily do the math and see that this after you've played. Thus, why take those risks? Why do I want extra feet? Now, we've gone and neutered many of the fun, adventurous cards in the game because there's no reason to take risk when the reward has no meaning. And finally, and then there's the in-game scoring. The exploration track shows points for every space on the island and tells you that when the game ends, you'll get bonus points based on how you progress. Sounds fun, right? Wrong. When a zone is cleared, everyone has the exploration marker moved up to the beginning of the next zone. So I could totally ignore the exploring and let you do it all. And according to the exploration track, you'd get a significant in-game bonus for doing so. Nope. I get my piece drug along behind you and your point of vantage will be a minor at best you will probably have significant advantages just because of the cards themselves. But that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm saying that the entire exploration track is a complete waste of time and serves no purpose at all. It is just an artifact of what the game used to be like before the designer made some last minute changes but left it in, left it all in. Terrible. Okay, I told you there was two big reasons why this game is a turkey, but there's one more bit I want to mention. The card layout is terrible. For example, maybe there's a card when you roll a die and then look at the card to see what happened, but the layout is so bad that you can't tell if some parts happen when you roll a three or is it supposed to happen when you roll a four. The simple addition of a few more spaces and maybe some better word choice would have gone a long way here. So maybe you'll enjoy Robinson Crusoe. I hope so. I think it's probably too fiddly for me to ever like it. However, you will not enjoy Castaways. This is definitely a prime candidate for a game to serve at Thanksgiving. For our non-USA readers, this means turkey. And that is Michael's rant. So let me get this straight. I think you should put that on your secret Santa list. <laughs> he does not like the game Castaways. No. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, Michael, you've definitely talked me out of ever playing that game, so I, I, I'll, I'll skip that one. Yeah, that one I might see at the miniature market uh, quick clearance sell lot someday. <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it might be worth it. Maybe we can send that up to to Anthony or something. Ooh, he's got a thread going over at Cardboard Junk uh, uh, Guild. He's got one on something that they want him to play at Total Con. I think I just found the answer. There you go. All right. We got one All more. Right. So one more. And this is from Mike R. And he says, 
probably mild compared to most people's stories, but the biggest turkey for me so far was Caesar and Cleopatra. It was highly recommended by several friends as a two-player game Anna and I would enjoy. We had barely gotten started before she gave me a what-the-heck-is-this look. Not much further before I was sent to get Carcassonne out of the closet instead. I've held on to many games long past when we should have, but this one was out the door pretty fast. I guess it wouldn't have been so bad if it wasn't so highly recommended by the same people who had just recently introduced us to Carcassonne and Ticket to Ride. Wow. So there you go. So now, now for us, our biggest turkeys. Do you know yours? You go ahead. I'm still. I've been debating since we announced this on what mine is because I've used it again and again. But you, you go right ahead. I swear, if you say resistance, (laughs) I'm not going to say resistance because I don't own it. Okay. All right. All right. So, so here it is. So, I played this game once about three years ago and thought I would really like it. So I went out and bought it and realized I really don't like it at all. Oh, I know what it is. I know what it is. What? No, 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 I'm going future. No, let's see if you get it right. Okay. Small world. Yep. Mm -hmm. It is. What I found out is small world made me realize why I don't like risk. I don't like area control games or not a big fan of that style of area control games. I'm not sure why. I, maybe it's the conflict. I don't like the direct head-to-head stuff. I, I don't. I don't know what it was. But when I we played Small World once here, and it it went over like a lead balloon. I have not played it since. I should probably donate it or something. But it's okay. There's also a lot of little bits in that game, and it takes a while to set up. And you got all those little bits of cardboard that's all over the place. And then it ends up being just a little bit more elaborate game of risk to me. So, Small World was the one that I went out and kind of regret ever getting. Uh, so that give you that give you time to pick yours. Yeah, it does. And I, I've always I was going to wager money on Small World for you because I, I know it wasn't one of your um, favorites, and which which surprised me because. I'd be honest with you. I'm the only one I think who likes small world in all the gaming groups that we, you and I deal with. You don't ever see it at our game club. You, I can't get it. What? Whoa, 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 whoa. It actually is at the game club. You just don't ever come. Oh, it did. In fact, I, in fact, I saw it last week or last time I went. Really? Cause the last times I've gone, I've, I haven't seen it, but that doesn't mean anything obviously. So, okay. Well, I, I sit to be corrected here. So, but, I can't, you won't play it. Um, Donna is not a big fan of it. And so I, I understand. Well, mine is one that I bought at Origins in, uh, when we were there. And I thought I would love this game. I mean, it just spoke to me. I thought um, Donna would enjoy it. It was Factory Fun. That game just fell flat. I mean, it's a puzzle game where you're trying to put together a factory and score points and, you know, put the flow of the, the goop or whatever you want to call it from machine to machine to machine. And, and you pick a piece and you have to work it. And it's, it's, it looked, the concept looked really cool. And, and you have to build your factory. And the person who has the most points is the winner. Wow, that was wasted $20. I should have also picked up Puerto Rico from the guy there, Marty. Yeah, I think you should have for that. Yeah, that was or Power Grid back then. Eh, it just was not 
oh, uh, that's one of those games that, you know, you think about why is it still in my cabinet, but I don't want to wish it on anybody else. <laughs> it's not even worth giving away or auctioning off or something, huh? Well, the shipping will cost me more or whatever, but yeah, because I mean, you can pick it up at, on you know, like Tango or any of the other places. It's discounted everywhere. So anyway, well, th- those are our turkey games. Um, so we're good. So to go. our next, um, I guess we hadn't thought about this, but our next at the table segment will come in December. And have we decided on a question for that one? Um, it, it's probably going to be just the opposite. What? Uh, and I think you want me to go ahead and do it, Marty. I've got a list out here. <laughs> go for it, because I, I have no idea what you're looking at. Um, basically, um, what we're going to go with is. What game do you want under the tree? What game do you want under the tree? Yes. That, okay. That's our, that is for our, our December at the table. Uh, you rush downstairs. The anticipation of the morning is about, and you, you rip into the packages, and you hope, what game is that? Obviously not Castaways. I, I, hope, you're my, I hope I get you as a secret Santa. all right so there you go so for our next um at the table segment is what game do you want under the tree so that closes out our at the table segment for this month and now we're gonna go back to our previous selves at mace we're now at the end of another episode as God is my witness, I thought turkeys can fly. It's the delivery. It was his it, it, delivery. Yeah. And it was the punchline. It was the. It was like as the credits were at the um, coming up on the end of the show, he walks out of his office and says that. And I remember being a little kid watching that falling on the floor. I was laughing so hard. One of the best lines ever. Yeah. They're hitting the cement. The, 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 <laughs> They're hitting, hitting the ground like packs like of wet, wet cement. cement. <laughs> oh, my. Oh. It's oh. almost as if they were organized <laughs> and they walk in all covered in feathers oh once again back to back to why we're here so at the end of episode 26 you know how we had these cute little things at the end of our show we decided to have a little fun on the last one and if you didn't hear it we had like a secret contest mm-hmm. to where um, if you listen to that part of the show and you emailed us a email that's brilliant yeah send us an email with the subject batman mm-hmm. you were entered into a contest where you were going to get one of tony's homemade leather dice bags i got a boo-boo right here where i'm stuck myself with a needle i'm not kissing it okay anyway. so anyway so what we did is here at mace we, we've got all the entries mm-hmm. and we put them in a hat and we had a young gentleman here at Mace who's sitting in here in the room talking with, it looks like his dad, and they're having a little family time over at Mace, and Tony went and bothered him. Anyway, um, and to pull a name out, and our winner for the dice bag is, drumroll, da 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 Steve G. Steve G. So, Steve, um, congratulations for winning. We will send you some information, get your uh, mailing address, and we'll get you that uh, wonderful dice bag Tony made. 
And keep in mind, Steve, that the dice bag is not this big, huge thing if you got a bunch of dice. But it's, it's a good one. It looks kind of like a coin purse type thingy that you could do. It's a man bag. It's a man bag. You know, it's, a, it's a small little coin thing that you'd see in like medieval. So you could even wear it if you, oh, I don't know, dress for Renaissance festivals or anything like that. So I hope you enjoy it. And um, uh, if you would, uh, post it out there. Like, uh, was it Brian that got the last one? That we did god oh it's been so long since you know we did the other one but anyway uh we'd appreciate it if you just share with everybody that you did receive your prize so people know we are legit <laughs> um, matter of fact marty mentioned back in the survey um we had a cons- uh, consolation uh gift of a um, another dice tray that i made and we the uh, contacted the person the individual said hey if it's okay with you um could you just give it to either the jack vassal and i contacted him back and said hey we're going to mace this weekend and they have a auction for various charities right and this would save on shipping and so they accepted the dice tray here and it's been in the auction and um, they grouped it with a whole bunch of stuff so hopefully you know um we'll report back what it went for um if they uh, but uh, they were going to group it with a lot of stuff. But e- either way, that's great. So, yeah, that, so that, that helped. That, that was very nice of you. Thanks for doing that. And uh, the uh, charity auction here supports like uh, five or six charities. So um, the money uh, for that uh, dice tray will go to some good causes. So, again, thanks for that. Mm-hmm. So that uh, that's it. This is coming out a little bit before Thanksgiving. And we're going to be heading into December. And we've got a couple big episodes in December with our year anniversary and then our Christmas list and and then we'll come into January with our best of 2013 so we're going to be busy oh yeah without a doubt we're going to be very busy with that and uh, videos and video yeah we got some videos from Mace Mari's going to put those out that yeah way. actually we finished recording some videos we're just going to throw them out on our YouTube channel we'll just to let you see some of the things that go on here we actually interviewed um, Robert Burke mm-hmm. uh, game designer here who just got his Battle for Souls uh, done in Kickstarter and doing other several other Kickstarter games we talked with uh, Stephen Avery who was the one who generously gave his time for our little charity event for running Nothing Personal what a great guy that guy oh. was uh, <laughs> he's funny. Guy. He's great. funny. You, you'll see a little outtake. Uh, I'll put it in the video that we had of um, him just him just messing around, having fun. And oh, I was so close to winning his game in the auction. <clears throat> that's okay. No problem. Yeah, you were. Yeah. Well, so, and then that's pretty much um, it. I think I can't think of anything else we got coming up. No, I think. Uh, I'm going to take a little break after this mace thing. We've been doing a lot to get ready for this thing. I didn't realize how much more busy you are doing stuff like this as opposed to just attending. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Tony has done a lot. He's printed out a lot of stuff. He printed out a banner for us. And then there's just organizing people to, to come meet with us. And, and Marty's walked around, videotaped everything, pictured. So we, we've had fun this week weekend we got to play i got to play um did i tell you i got to play robinson caruso well get this right after this supposedly uh, one of our friends from the game club is going to sit down with me and my family and teach us robinson caruso okay. we'll see if it happens as of right now <laughs> it's supposed to happen it may not <laughs> uh, I, and you know what's so funny well did you like it oh, we haven't talked oh, about god, it oh god yeah really oh. how'd you how'd you like oh. it compared to other co-op games um okay first off completely different setting sure um and thematically did a whole what what i'll enjoy most because we talk about this all the time is worker i enjoy worker placement games okay that's what this is 
Really? As a co-op game? As a co-op. It's a worker placement game as a co-op game. The, the different dice, the success, you're trying to, the weather elements, you've, got a, you've only got limited resources, you've got to feed yourself. It's, when you walk into it, you're going to think, how am I going to learn this thing? It's cake. Wow. It is really, it's, it was easy. I mean, sat down, the guy talked to me, Chris Norwood, who um, does a podcast on Dice Tower Network, taught it to me last night. And he, he just went through it real quick. Decisions were fairly easy. I mean, you, you couldn't make a wrong decision. It was, now what may, I'll be interested to hear from you, what you think about the dice being in this game. I think it's too much luck or something. Yeah. Okay. Versus, you know, I've placed the workers. Everything turned out, but it comes down to a dice roll. Yeah, and if but thematically, you're thinking about did you have success? You are trying to survive. Mm -hmm. You don't have the tools to survive. Mm -hmm. So it is somewhat luck. Did I was able to pull off making the sphere, or did the flint break the rock, or or I didn't get a good thing? So you know, you can pull it in like that. So it was is very good. It's still on the buy list. Well, Eldritch Horror is nothing but dice rolls, and I enjoyed it. It didn't seem to remove from me, and that's, you know, we had, there's some bad dice rolls, and, and it didn't really affect the gameplay for me at all. So hopefully it won't yeah, for yeah. me. Robert's one thing you'll learn is that you can uh, make sure, assure, thank you, success. If you want to commit two workers to something, mm-hmm. you got success. Oh, okay. So that's you, good. So you can pull the, you don't have to roll the dice, but if you think that you you can't risk it because you need to split your task mm-hmm. you're not as well concentrating on it then you may have some bad luck well let me ask you this is there a method mechanism for improving your chances of success with dice by adding more dice or affecting numbers uh you it didn't come up when we were playing there may be okay I don't know. Because in in Eldritch, it's all we about roll. adding more. No, adding more dice. True. You get weapons. You have more dice. Better chances of successes. So I can appreciate that. I think there was some ones where people who may have that capability, but my guy's the carpenter, and the best thing I could do was add additional workers to build or something. Okay. So, but I'll be interested to hear what you think, and maybe someday we might get our own copy. Mm, if it ever, who makes this game? Uh, Z-Man. Well, of course. Oh yeah, exactly. Who makes um. Who makes Caverna? That I'm, I want really bad. I think isn't that Z-Man? Yeah. What? What is? Uh, anyway, we, 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 that's we a rant harped, for later. Yeah, yeah, we have already harped on this <laughs> time. But guys, once again, we appreciate you listening. And if you would, just keep rolling dice and taking names. I was wondering which would break first, your spirit, or the 500 follower mark on Twitter, which, by the way, is at Dice and Names. And you can find their website at RollDiceTakeNames.com. And the guild is on Board Game Geek. As God is my witness, I thought turkeys could fly. <laughs>